0: Podcast. i'm Louie, and as always i'm joined by my bud dave hey so dave and i couldn't let this month go by without a special halloween episode of the podcast right dave no we could not and we thought we'd do something different on the show for the big day one of those things being us answering a few questions from some friends and listeners of the haunted hangover podcast and the other thing would be to have some author friends of ours tell a few halloween inspired tales on the show so Dave, let's start things off with some of these questions that were submitted to us.
1: I cannot wait to answer these.
0: <laughs> so, the first question was sent to us by a personal friend, Chris. Uh, his handles at Christopher One One Four Eight Eight on Instagram uh he's also chrissy p P. he's also uh he's also a fellow podcaster he has his own podcast booze bros and bill and they cover film pop culture sports even uh he's also an actor friend of mine who i've worked with he's worked i think he's been in all of my film projects for the most part
1: yes that's (laughs) how i know chris is from you
0: and uh his question is what's one childhood halloween memory
1: you'd love to revisit Dave, I'm going to let you start this one. So, we had this discussion earlier, and I didn't want to bring up stuff I've mentioned before on the podcast because I tend to bring up certain things all the time just because they (laughs) are memories that I hold very dear to me. So, I'm going to change this question a little bit, and it's not a childhood memory, but it's a pretty recent memory. And. The memory that I'm talking about that I wish I wish I could revisit and I'm sure it could easily be redone is I want to say it was Halloween of 2013 or 2014 I had gone to Central Islip to my friend Nikos's house and we've been planning this thing for like a little bit like we were going to do this whole Halloween like like extravaganza mm-hmm. and what it was was we were talking about going out on our BMX bikes and literally riding around suburbia all night on Halloween, <laughs> and it, it was—I mean, it was like we were like fantasizing about it. So I had made a playlist, and Nikos is like, "Hey, I have a boombox, you know, and I have an MP3 player, or I think we use my—I think I had like an iPod Mini or something like that, or like an iPod Shuffle." And I made a playlist, and <laughs> and we literally so it was it was Nikos. It was his girlfriend at the time, and it was our friend Steve. And I was dressed in a skeleton jumpsuit. Nikos was wearing like this, like like half brow mask, like it covered up to his nose, and then his <laughs> mouth was was showing. Do, do you know do you know the kind of mask I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I have an idea of which one you're talking. It's like a it's like a half mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, they're actually kind of weird looking, like and like a little unsettling looking. And uh, his friend Steve was just was just dressed like regularly, and um, so we're all on our bikes. He's got this fucking boombox strapped to his bike, and the and I think we took a rubber band or like tape, and we taped the MP3 player to the boombox that was strapped to the bike. <laughs> <laughs> so we're riding around, and like, if I could say one like memory within the memory that always stood out to me was we had gone through a, like, like we had rode through a cul-de-sac and as we rounded the cul-de-sac to go back out there was like this beautiful like blue sheen to the night sky and blue oyster cults don't fear the reaper was playing and it was like the like ultimate like memory like it was like the ultimate fucking like like I can't even say it like I can't even explain to you like it was just such a good moment for that night. And um the fact that
0: Don't Fear the Reaper was playing just kind of you could tell it was Halloween. Like that song is oh, always man. on every Halloween playlist. 100%. <laughs> yeah.
1: And um so like we so like I said we we we're, we're riding our bikes around and um like we saw like it must have just happened there was like this deer that was like this giant deer that had just got hit by a car. Oh man. And it was sitting on the side of the it was crazy it was sitting on the side of the road um and you know we it was supposed like we so like prior to um you know the the ride itself we were going to go into the woods and they were going to start a fire but it started raining so like we took like we took cover in a in a train station so like we're trying to figure out what we want to do and um nikos is like well, I know a Halloween party going on. He's like, I wasn't exactly invited, but we could go to it. So, like, we literally crashed a Halloween party. <laughs> and, That's amazing. <laughs> and he at Nico's at the time, because he was just like right, like right after this Halloween, uh, this Halloween excursion. He was planning. Um, he had gone, basically lived out of like a van and stuff for a long time with him and his girlfriend. Like they went all over the states. And they ended up, I believe they ended up in Texas, but, um, he had this huge van and he, and, and they had been drinking a little bit. So he's like, yo, he's like, can you drive my van? And I'm like, I would love to drive this van. So we went to this party and literally like, we just went in this house. Like it was this big Halloween party going on (laughs) and (laughs) that was it. We, we crashed the Halloween party. And that sounds, um that sounds great. <laughs> it was. It it really was. And honestly, it was that that Halloween night fucking ruled. And it was it's probably in my top three Halloween moments. So that's one memory I wish I could revisit.
0: I love how that's like you were an adult when that happened too. You weren't even a kid. Like it was it, Fuck one yeah. of your best Halloween's was when you were an adult.
1: Fuck yeah, man. It was great.
0: <laughs> so uh so one childhood memory or one childhood Halloween memory. I'd love to revisit. So I have one and it's kind of general. And this is how I'll describe it. The mystery of Halloween. Like, I wish I could relive that. So here's an example of a specific memory and what I'm talking about. So when I was about six years old, I forget where, but, you know, my mother and some other family members and friends, you know, took out they took all their kids trick or treating. I think I, I think this year I was dressed up as a, like, undead pirate. And, you know, we're trick-or-treating, and then, you know, it's dark. And I remember just walking down these, like, you know, streets, and there were other kids out in the street. I, I think it might have been New Jersey. We drove out to Jersey to go trick-or-treating. And I'm in the street, and I stop, I think, at the corner. We're, we're all stopping across the street. And I look over in the opposite direction, like, across this, like, intersection or something, and there's a guy dressed up as Michael Myers, like just standing there like he would like I in in my head that was Michael Myers and I vividly remember it's so funny how nostalgia just kind of like fucks with your head because in my mind this is how I saw this guy dressed up as Michael Myers he was just standing there you know his clothes were all dark and he had on a Michael Myers mask and in my head fog fog (laughs) <laughs> like a puff of fog like just flew by him and it probably was like car smoke or something from like a, an exhaust Yo, you were mad shook i know dude i was and <laughs> and i just see this guy and i just miss how much as a kid you believe like I, to me that was like i questioned it like was that michael myers like you know, when you're 6 you of think course. movies are real and shit dude
1: your imagination gets the best of you yeah And I'm sitting there
0: with, like, my my trick-or-treat bag. And I'm like, dude, that guy's just – like, it's Michael Myers is just standing there watching us. And I had – at this point, I had already seen the movie. But, again, you don't really – you don't know. Like, people tell you, oh, it's fake. But you don't don't listen to your parents when they tell you that, you know. And the funny thing is that when I look back at it now as an adult – This guy probably looked like a shitty Michael Myers, honestly. Like at that time (laughs) Like if you think about it, like it's not like today where all the Michael Myers masks look great. Like it was probably like generic, like all white one with like the light brown hair that looked like shit. But at the time that was all you can get. But in my eyes, like he was this fucking guy was Michael Myers. It was the most realistic depiction of Michael Myers to a six year old, probably. As far as my memory goes.
1: Let me ask you a question. Did you think, so in your six-year-old head, did you think you are you were done for? Like, he's coming to get me and that's it.
0: It's funny. I, I wasn't, like, scared. Like, I thought I was dead. Like, that's it. He's going to come and stab me. But I just, it was just creepy.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, you're like, like, you're just confused. Yeah. Because, again, at six, you don't know. Like, you don't know if that's, like, it. if. if if that's really
1: him, like, you think that is him. Like, you think that that's Michael Myers. Dude, so it's just... I can tell you right now, I would have thought he was coming to kill me. So, <laughs> I can tell you right now, I would have been like, that's it. He's coming to get me. I got to do what I got to do to get out of here. And I can't let him kill me. That's exactly what would have been going through my head.
0: And, and for, like, it's, it's one of those situations where, again, this was a long time ago. So, for all I know, it was a fucking statue or something someone built. Because he, in my memory, he was just standing still watching me in the mask and it was dark and all you could see was the glow of the white mask and I'm like what the fuck so that's basically something I wish I could revisit just that feeling of just the mystery behind Halloween and being scared and like you know yeah your whole night is trick-or-treating but it took this one thing to just kind of make the night creepy for me personally you know what I mean so that's kind of That's kind of what I, it's a general feeling, but that's one specific memory that describes what I'm talking about.
1: I love it. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to compose a song called The Glow of the White Mask. And it's going to be about how shook you were at Michael Myers. (laughs) The
0: the night Louie was shook by the guy in the shitty Michael Myers costume. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next question was from Lover's Music. Uh, he's been supporting us a lot on Instagram. He's always liking our post, and he's uh he's personally messaged us telling us how much he enjoys the show.
1: And we appreciate it.
0: We do. And his question is: have we ever started one of those so bad it's good movies and turned it off because it was just bad? Uh I- I'll start this one, Dave. <laughs> Please. Because I know I know you'll have something to uh to add to this. So Let me start off by saying this. I am not a fan of trauma movies. (laughs) They are too silly and dumb for me. A lot of the times when I watch them, I like kind of cringe at how bad they are. You know, I get it. People love Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, and, and, and most of the time when people talk about trauma, those are the movies they mention. But if I had to pick one movie and it's a trauma film, that I've put on and just couldn't finish it because I personally thought it was terrible. It has to be trauma's war. Have
1: you ever seen this movie? I actually haven't. That's a movie I've heard like things about. Um, didn't Joe Bob just recently have not recently, but he had that on not too long ago, right? Yeah, he did, and I couldn't finish it because it was so fucking yeah, stupid. I, <laughs> I I didn't, I've never seen it. Yeah, you know, we we've had this conversation before about the trauma films. I, I don't love all their films. And when I say love, I mean like I, I it's, it's a very loose term. I, I, I just happen to enjoy some of them. I really do love surf Nazis must die surf not the, the, the score to the surf Nazis must die uh, film is one of my favorite scores, if not my favorite movie score of all time. But um, that's besides the point, but I have not seen Troma War. I actually would like to just to say that I, you know, just so I can just see what it's about, but yeah, I, I I get it.
0: Yeah, like I respect the craft and like Lloyd Kaufman, what he's done, you know, working with low budgets and and making these movies. But you know, for me, it's just they're just bad movies. Like they just, I get it. You know, '80s films are popular, and I love I love '80s horror. But just some of these movies are just so unwatchable. And Trauma's War, Trauma War, whatever it's called. Is just one of those movies that I've tried to watch at least two or three times and cannot get through it. Even the Joe Bob last drive-in episode, I tried to watch it. I turned that shit off because I was like, I I can't. I just can't. I can't sit through it. It's just so dumb. It's such a dumb movie. But I get it. People enjoy their movies. And I'm not shitting on them. I'm not going to go on this whole big tirade where I'm like, fuck, trauma movie. They're stupid. No, I just, they're not for me it's a personal choice and i stay as far away from them as i can that's fair
1: that's fair i respect that uh, i mean so speaking for myself and i was trying to i, I was as i was talking to louie earlier about this i couldn't think of a movie that i watched and and shut off i always watch movies all the way through even if i don't like it cuz i want to see what's going to happen <laughs> and i mean that's like the most like like that's like the most easiest answer i can give everybody is because i really want to see what's going to happen no matter how shitty it is (laughs) and because there could be some moment where like i could find a scene where i like i like the lighting or like i really like the way the score came in or something you know what i mean like i always try to find something yeah that i could latch on to but yeah usually if it's if a movie is bad i usually actually trek it through (laughs) so that's that that's uh that that's 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 how it goes for me with bad movies
0: I commend you, dude, cause I turn shit off when I hate it. it could, I, if I'm watching a movie, very, like every now and then there'll be like a movie everyone's talking about. And I'm like, all right, maybe maybe the payoff at the end is what everyone loves. But there's been a few movies where I'll like put them on, and I just I just have to turn them off because they're either too stupid or just dumb. Or they're just not grabbing my attention. I'm on my phone. I like a movie that I, doesn't, I don't want to. Because I like to watch a movie without my cell phone. And if I'm noticing I'm going on my phone bullshitting, then I'm bored. So that's just a sign of, okay, turn this shit off and move on with your life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So the next question was sent to us by Dirty Harry Art, uh, a.k.a. Hank from uh, Death by DVD. I've known this dude uh, throughout the years, you know, through social media and stuff. We've been we've been buds, and his question is, "What is the best Halloween candy you got when trick or treating?"
1: Snickers, <laughs> always and forever, Snickers, <laughs> and now. We even got the peanut butter square Snickers, which are fucking incredible.
0: So (laughs) I haven't had those yet. I have to give those a try.
1: Oh, they're so good. You know, it's funny. So, so I remember trick or treating and I remember like you'd get houses that would give like starbursts and Skittles, which, which in their own league are great. Yeah. And then you'd get like the Hershey's, just the regular Hershey chocolate bars. But when you would get Snickers and like a Milky Way or two Snickers, that was like that was it that was the best fucking haul like when you would get two snickers and then sometimes you would get the houses and it wasn't many that would give the full the full candy bar
0: oh hell yeah those were the best houses man right but it was
1: very few and far between <laughs> very
0: it was like it was such a rare occurrence for you to get a full candy bar yeah it
1: really was uh, it's
0: funny too because when, when you think about it right like snickers and three musketeers and Milky Ways those are always the first candies to go. Like when you put candy out, let's say whether it's trick-or-treat, like trick-or-treat candy or even your own personal haul of candy, those are always the first to just go. Those are the first to vanish. Then you're left with all all like the shitty candy at the end. (laughs) Um, For me, uh, I'm answering this question in the perspective of like five, six, seven-year-old Louie. And when I was a kid, my favorite candy, and this was weird and I don't know why I love this candy because as an adult, I, I haven't had it in years was Fun Dip. I don't know why. <laughs> I <laughs> loved Fun yeah. Dip as a kid. I like it too. Dude, it was sugary and messy and honestly kind of gross. And I was weird because I enjoyed the like chalky stick that you can eat that was basically like a hunk of sugar.
1: Oh, that's the worst part. You know,
0: <laughs> I enjoy- I loved it. I loved it.
1: <laughs> I was going to say it's gross, but at the same time, it it did taste good when you would when you would pile it up with the sugar on it and then take yeah. a chunk of it yeah so yeah all right i'll 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 give you that the 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 uh, the, the the chocolate the chalky stick was definitely good when it had uh, sugar piled on top of it a few years ago i was like you know what i'm
0: going to buy myself a fun dip i could not get through it it was just so gross and i th- i probably haven't had one since that time this was probably like five six years ago and before that i probably didn't have one you know since i was like nine years old so that was my go-to as a kid as an adult i will agree with you it's it's definitely snickers and uh and uh, milky ways and like reese's chocolate because i love chocolate now so that's always the uh, go-to as an adult
1: i'll say this i think one of the selling points for me for fun dip was that you could literally bring it with you and save it for any time you wanted to eat it. Like, Oh, I'm going to have a little bit of this fun dip yeah. right now. Hold on. <laughs> Let me take a dip real quick. And then you could just <laughs> yeah. fold that little packet up, put it in your pocket and you were good. And then whenever you wanted another sugar <laughs> rush, there you go. So I'll give you that. I dig fun dip.
0: Our next question is from Chris Mish 79. And he's asking what year were we born for context? It helps understand our perspective and why we love what we love. Dave, I'll let you start. I respect this
1: question. I know, Dave. You,
0: you can uh, you can reveal your you can reveal that first.
1: Sure. Uh, I was born in 1983. I'm 37 years old, and I am a Pisces through and through.
2: <laughs>
1: Lou, what about you, bud? I I was born in 1986.
0: I'm 34 years old. Uh, I think I'm a Virgo. But if I'm being honest, I don't follow a lot of that stuff. So, <laughs> I do. Uh, but I, I did find the question interesting. You know, I, I feel like Dave and I gravitate towards late '80s, early '90s stuff, which is why we love stuff like "Are You Afraid of the Dark" and things like that. Of course. So it, it kind of makes sense, and a lot of our memories are from when we were, you know, I think five and on. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of a. Uh, that's our, our go-to favorites, I guess, when it comes to a decades and just what we're into. Definitely. So the next group of questions...
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: ...is from our buddy Tina Zook. I think I'm pronouncing that right. That's her uh, handle, a.k.a. Tina. Uh, always supporting the Haunted Hangover podcast. Always liking yes, and commenting. She's very stuff. supportive of us. She's great. She rules. And Dave, she hit us with several questions i think we have about uh let me count here i think we got about six or seven from her
1: i know we got a whole group of questions from her we'll try to do these in kind of rapid fire but you know we'll elaborate a little bit right and and just real really quickly i've known christina for ever since i've had an instagram account we've been instagram friends since like 2012 okay and we've been talking ever since so I, she she's a very good friend of mine And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how this how that works out, because like when I had Instagram and like it was before I was even into photography and stuff like that and like writing music, like I was just posting the stupidest shit possible. And then like I posted like a clip from Friday the 13th part five, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And she commented on it. And that's how we became friends. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Literally, that's how we became friends. And she is a good friend of mine to this day.
0: That's all it took—a little, a little Jason Voorhees—to get you guys. Uh, love
1: it—to <laughs> get you
0: guys to connect, you guys. And speaking of Jason, <laughs> her first question is: Freddy or Jason, Dave? Who do you prefer?
1: Jason. I love all the masks. I love the scores, and I legit like all of the films.
0: This was a tricky one for me because I love both Freddy and Jason, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I loved Freddy Krueger. As a kid I I love Jason too, but like I feel like as when you're like ten or eleven or twelve, like you, you gravitate towards Freddie because he jokes and he's funnier and he's got all the comedy and all the weird shit that he does. But as an adult, I do gravitate towards Jason more. And I think that's just simply because I feel like you can throw those movies on as, like, background noise, like, at any time. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of... And, like, I never get bored watching them. I love all the movies, too. Like, I'm I'm a big fan of all of them. The remake, Freddy versus Jason. I like that one, too. I like the original. I like all of them. So, for me, it's... As an adult, it's Jason. As a kid, it was Freddy. It's weird because... I, and I know you love both of them, too, because you love
1: Freddy, too. Come on, right? So... When, as as justification as a kid, as who is more lethal. <laughs> Freddy can get you in your dreams, right? Yeah, exactly. But Jason is all the way in Camp Crystal Lake. So you had time. You could run from Jason. But yo, Freddy is like, there, there was no running from Freddy. Because as Hell soon as no. you fell asleep, you're done. You're fucked. So You're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is
0: funny because as a kid, as a kid... Like, I liked Freddy more, and he, honestly, he was probably scarier, when like, the whole concept of killing people in your dreams. But I feel like there was still, like, something so outlandish about him, and I guess that's what it was. Yeah, it was tongue-in-cheek. Even the first one, it's scary, but, like, he's still cracking jokes, chopping his fingers off, and the long yeah. arms and all that
1: shit. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> what's the next one, bud? So the next question is, favorite vampire flick? Dave, what's your favorite vampire flick?
1: near dark no question that's a great one
0: that is a really good movie um i'd have to go with fright night because i feel like i watch that movie all the time yeah I, i watch it all the time it's one of those movies like it's a comfort movie i could like toss it on if i'm just like writing or editing and just put it on and i know it like the back of my hand i like all the characters it has a sick soundtrack
1: uh brad fidel yeah absolutely has
0: a great score um the score and the soundtrack is fucking. Awesome. Even the songs like on the soundtrack are fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it is really good. You know, that's it's, that's a movie I need to rewatch soon. Um, Near Dark, actually, I actually just got the VHS not too long ago in the mail. Um, that I just love the atmosphere in that movie. It's great. Um, it's great. I would even say that the atmosphere is is, is worth the price of admission alone. Um, the characters are fucking great. Oh, I totally and agree. And the score by Tangerine Dream is fucking great. Amazing. Um
0: that's the most honestly for me like that score is like one of the like no one that's another score no one talks about. It's fucking amazing.
1: You know, and and you know what sucks, you know you know what sucks about about Near Dark is that it came out the same time the Lost Boys came out. Yeah. And the Lost Boys completely overshadowed that movie. And the Lost Boys, listen, there's no question the importance of the lost boys we all love the lost oh, boys everybody loves awesome. the lost boys yeah but near dark to me is the better movie and it's just unfortunate that it was overshadowed
0: yeah if you haven't seen near dark you better go uh, find that and watch it absolutely so her next question is have you ever used the ouija board if so what happened
1: you take this one first
0: Uh, I have when I, when I was a kid and nothing happened. (laughs) If I'm, if I'm keeping it, if I'm, (laughs) if I'm keeping it real, I don't really believe in that stuff. I do like the aesthetic of like a Ouija board
1: and like, I, you know, I, Oh, I love it. The look, everything it's everything. It's mystique is absolutely inviting. Um, personally, I've never used one and I probably never will. Um I am very welcoming of the spirits but at their leisure. I don't go where I'm not wanted. So if that answers the question.
0: Yeah, listen, Ouija boards are cool. Dave won't use one. I've 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 used one before when I was like 7 or 8 and nothing happened. I think it was with my cousin. We were just in the living room like I had one of those like glow in the dark ones, and
1: or maybe something did yeah. happen. You yeah. just oh. my cousin
0: was moving it, and I was like, "You're being a dickhead, basically." And like, <laughs> no, that was basically it. But the aesthetic of a Ouija board is awesome. All right, so her next question after that is, "What would be your weapon during the zombie apocalypse, Dave? What would be your weapon?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, mine is a combo of a shotgun. And a pointed metal baseball bat.
0: What? What? A pointed
1: metal baseball so, bat? So, so, okay. So take a baseball bat yeah. and shave it down so it has a point, like a vampire stake. So you have a bat and you have something to
0: stab with. Gotcha. That, that is pretty. It's almost like, what's the name of the bat that like the Walking Dead guy has? It's almost like, that's what it reminds me of, but it's pointy instead.
1: Yeah. Like, so right? That's... Like
0: yeah, one of the characters has like a baseball bat, right? Negan? <laughs> I think isn't it a baseball bat? Uh, well, I, right, it's not point,
1: It's not like shaved down or anything like that. But, oh, okay. It has like barbed wire, right? Yeah, but yeah, but like okay. it, would, it would like the tip of it would have like would be filed down to a point, so I can stab and bash
0: and bash people. Okay, that's right. I wrote down shotgun. I'd just blow the heads off of zombies. Like I feel like that's a powerful weapon, and like you you cap a zombie in the head and he's dead. That's it, or she's dead. There you go. And end of story with that one. Going down the list, the next question is: Do you believe in ghosts, Dave? Do you believe in ghosts?
1: Of course, I believe in ghosts. Like, like, that's literally the answer I have. <laughs> I wrote down my notes. <laughs> yes, I believe in ghosts. I believe in spirits. I believe in all things that are otherworldly. I always have, and I always will. So I hope that answers the question. Do you, Lou?
0: I hope I don't upset people, but I don't believe in ghosts. I'm a little bit of a skeptic. Damn. I don't. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I don't. I've never witnessed anything supernatural or any like weird experiences. Maybe that'll change one day, but as of uh, as of today and as of right now, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm sorry. For all okay. my uh, my ghost believers out there, <laughs> okay.
1: But you, but you, but at six years old, you were mad shook at Michael Myers. Right? <laughs> I was shook. Michael Myers scared the shit
0: out of me, but I didn't believe in ghosts. Well, when I was, was six, I, when I was six, I believed in a lot of shit. So, <laughs>
1: oh, probably. So, uh,
0: her next question we kind of answered. Uh, favorite Halloween candy? Uh, we mentioned Snickers and all that before, and I mentioned Fun Dip. But there is one candy I candy I didn't mention, and that's. Reese's Buttercups. I think I might have briefly mentioned it. That's probably my. That's probably my go-to. If I'm buying the candy for myself, Halloween candy, it'll probably be a Reese's Buttercup because I love those fucking things. The mean the mini ones where you could just shove them in your mouth. Those are amazing as well.
1: So if you want to if you want to laugh, every single year, I have this misfits um, uh, candy bucket. Well, th- 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 this is a new edition, but so i'll be going forward i use this now but i had this um i have this misfits candy bucket that i got from super seven and i have this spider web candy dish yeah so on the block that i live on we don't get trick-or-treaters it's a very it's a very weird block it's half sub it's it's half suburban half industrial it's it's very odd and um we get maybe four or five trick or treaters. We always have. Oh, okay. We never got lots of trick-or-treaters at my house. So I always, 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 always buy like eight different kinds of candy and I mix them up like a, as like a, as like this wonderful spread. <laughs> and it's for me. <laughs> it's all, all for you. me at my leisure throughout the fucking Halloween season. Or I'll take a Snickers. I'll take a fucking Milky Way. <laughs> I'll take Butterfinger. I fucking love Butterfingers. Yeah, they're good. Butterfingers, um, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I mean, you name it, I'll stack it in there. And it's just one of those it, – it's it's very comforting to me. So I uh, – I, I definitely like to do that during the Halloween season. I could
0: vouch for that, too, because I've been to your house on Halloween. Yeah. And I saw the buckets you're talking about. And I think you gave a bunch of us candy one year. So <laughs> I've seen it in person. <laughs> <I> sure, did. <laughs> the last question sent to us by Tina is favorite Are You Afraid of the Dark episode? Dave, what's your favorite Are You Afraid of the Dark episode?
1: <laughs> I, I've said it. I know I've said it before on the show, so I'll say it again the tale of the dream girl yes in every way shape and form is the best and perfect are you afraid of the dark episode i love it i love it i love it and i want to say and you know what i'll even give you my runner uh my runners up episode and it's definitely the tale of the ghastly grinner so those are my two favorites
0: those are both great episodes honestly i don't think there's a bad are you afraid of the dark episode so
1: no they're all they're all watchable and hell you know what I'll even throw in a third one. <laughs> tale of Watchers Woods. That's there a great one too. That's an
0: awesome episode too. Lou. <laughs> if I had to choose one that when I think of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and I think about it like as a kid when I first like first started watching the show, it would have to be the tale of the shiny red bicycle. And only because I vividly remember that episode and how eerie it was. And how even the ending, when I was like 9 or 10, gave me like goosebumps.
1: Let's do a spoiler alert, just for the people i have never seen it. Refresh my memory, because I actually am kind of forgetting about this one.
0: So in this episode, it's about... Like there's a brother, an older brother, who his younger brother died. I think he was caught in like a drainage pipe or something like that on his bike. He got a new bike, and like all this water would be like, like rushed out and killed him. And I forget what ha- I haven't watched it in a little while, but I think something happens where his brother continues to kind of like haunt him and he keeps showing up holding the bike and he's all ghostly looking, mm-hmm. all gray and yep. pale and stuff.
1: It's all coming back now.
0: <laughs> and then again, once again, spoiler it, it at the end, it's that his brother was, he was actually trying to prevent, I think another kid from drowning and dying like he did. And he even gives his brother the bike and he, like, rushes off with it, like, to go save the other kid from, like, basically having the same fate as, as his younger brother. Yeah. So, it's a great episode. And it's just really, like, dreamy and dreary and, and creepy. And I always remember the final shot of the episode is when he gives his brother the, the bike to go help the other kid who's going to die the same way he did. He does it. He saves the kid. And the bike, he, he drops the bike and leaves it there. But when he goes back to it later, the bike's all rusty. Like how it was when when the brother died, mm, so yep. it was always a very yep. creepy, goosebumpy. Like even thinking about it, I get goosebumps. Like I said, it was always just a really creepy ending and a really great episode. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. That's my personal favorite. Are you afraid of the dark?
3: Episode. Hi guys, Howard here. You might know me as the tall, dark, and handsome guy who wears the sexiest of Hawaiian shirts in some of our haunted hangover videos over on the channel and I'm personally offended that Louie and Dave didn't ask me to be a part of the podcast for its Halloween special. It's alright guys, I still love you. I decided to take it upon myself to use some of my powers to host the rest of this special. So let me introduce our first story. This one was written by Oren Gray and is titled, The All-Night Horror Show. Enjoy.
2: Marcos Kostian sets alone on Halloween night and watches himself on the heavy wood-sided TV. On the screen, he is a darkened monolith, his black suit an empty doorway that sucks up all the light, tapering from his broad shoulders to his waist, naturally narrow and cinched tighter by an unseen girdle. At the ends of those black sleeves are his hands, the same hands that now rest on the arms of his chair, their knuckles buzzing with arthritic pain. On the screen, though, they are alive in a way they haven't been for years, pale spiders crawling out of black stovepipes, skittering at the soft-focused necks of pretty young starlets who scream and swoon in back alleys and boudoirs and basement labs. When his face is shown, it is often obscured by makeup, but only partly there to accentuate rather than hide his own features. The prominence of his forehead and jaw, the depth of his bright but sunken eyes, the way his bones seem to lie too close and wrong-shaped beneath his skin. Sometimes he plays mad scientists or sinister mesmerists, and then he is allowed to give speeches, his delivery addled by an accent he could have shed but was encouraged to keep. Not merely keep, but play up. People were afraid of foreigners back then, He guesses they still are. Around him in the living room are framed posters and publicity stills, sitting on the floor and leaning against the wall where he has never yet gotten around to hanging them. They almost say his name, but not quite. Xander Marcos as the monster, as the creeper, as the maniac, as the brute strangler. Xander Marcos, the name foisted on him by the studio. So close to his own and yet so far away. Outside, someone is setting off fireworks at the wrong time of year. He can hear the staccato cracks through the thin walls, see the flowers in the sky if he just turns his head to look out the high-set window. The view beyond should be of a black sky speckled with familiar diamond stars, but the city pollutes the air with toxins and with light, and the night sky is a faded copy of itself, like the pictures he watches on the old TV, faded by time and neglect. Gone the crisp, dark shadows that he remembers from the movie palaces. All of it gone now, lost to time, to memory, to cobwebs and creeping things that will soon be forgotten in their turn. In the van, three doors down, in a haze of smoke fenced in by rolled-up windows, Darius and Mason sit smoking and talking. Or rather, Mason is talking, as he is always talking, especially when he's also been smoking. Did you know that the stars are millions of light-years away, he is saying, for the third time tonight. He pauses to take another hit. A light-year isn't time, like it sounds, it's distance. But it's also time, man, the time it takes for light to travel in a year. That this last sentence doesn't make sense seems lost on him, and Darius doesn't push it. So what, he asks instead, though he has already heard so what, he already knows. So the light we see from the stars, and here Mason gestures with the burning pointer of the joint, through the windshield and the haze in the air toward the stars that are barely visible, even when they aren't muted down to nothing by the flash of firework going off from one or two streets over, the light we see from the stars is light that shined all those years ago, and it just took it that long to get here. When we look up at the sky, we're not looking at now at all, man, we're looking at then. Darius gets that. He remembers learning it in school. Remembers Mr. Iglesias telling him that the stars we see might even have burned out hundreds of thousands of years ago. But tonight, Darius isn't concerned with then, only with now. Now there are two shotguns behind the seats of the van. There's a pistol resting on the floorboard between his feet. And, according to Mason, there's a fortune just a few doors away. It is that fortune that Darius is thinking about now, it is the only light he needs and it doesn't take years for it to reach him just the few terrible minutes between the door of the van and the back door of the house the fumbling of the lock the dark muffled heat of the crinkly plastic masks that wait still in their boxes and cellophane and you're sure this guy's rich darius asks gesturing at the houses that surround them low bungalows not much better not much different than the one where he lives with his mother and his little sister "'No, man,' Mason replies from behind a cloud of smoke. "'Dude's not rich. "'If he was rich, he wouldn't be living in this neighborhood. "'He's a movie guy, or he was. "'Monster movie guy, back in the 30s. "'And he's still got the stuff, you know? "'The props and things from those old movies. "'And Kelly, he says that those props and posters and shit, "'they sell for thousands to collectors. "'Darius thinks about that. "'About the backyard of the bungalow house, "'the low-wire fence,' The back door about the old man who is presumably somewhere in the house in the living room the silver gray flicker of the tv onto some old black and white horror picture what all the tvs are tuned to tonight and kelly is paying us right not fencing paying straight up 40 percent of what he thinks it'll bring mason replies straight up darius reaches down between his knees and feels the cool metal of the gun in the hot smoky dark of the van Outside, another flower bursts in the sky, and for a moment it decimates the stars. That is not the crack-paws-crack of the fireworks one or two streets over, that is the sound of someone knocking on the front door, though it is late now, getting on toward midnight. The witching hour, he remembers intoning in his heavily accented voice on some talk show or another a decade gone now, when people still cared who he was. He rises from his chair, and it is like rising from a coffin. His arms and legs feel heavy, bound in chains, as he was in the secret door. He can feel them dragging along behind him as he struggles across the hardwood floor into the narrow hall. On the TV at his back, he is walking the other way, up a set of stairs casting chiaroscuro. The bungalow house is small, much smaller than the ones he left behind in the Hollywood Hills. The halls feel tiny to his famously wide shoulders, and he imagines, as he walks, that he is scraping across each one. He remembers a cartoon character, obviously drawn as, what, an homage? Parody? A simple theft of any one of his many monstrous figures? It was essentially a black triangle, balanced upside down on a pair of legs, its shoulders like gothic balconies affixed to the tops of its long and dangling arms. That is how he pictures himself, that tipped-up cathedral lumbering down the narrow hall, and in his distraction he stumbles against the hall table and tips off his keys which clatter on the wood floor. His porch light is on, though he has received no trick-or-treaters this year. It isn't a bad neighborhood, he doesn't think, but it also isn't a good one. That's why there is an iron gate outside the door. Like a cemetery gate, banging in the wind. But not the wind. Someone is banging on the door. Someone on the porch. On his side, the door looks solid and yellow, the porch light seeping in through two small windows set high, throwing the shadow of that cemetery gate on the floor of the hall where he hasn't bothered to turn on the lights because he was distracted with his reminiscences. Who is at the door at this hour on Halloween night? Marco's question feels a tingle of fear in his gut and is immediately resentful of it. He is supposed to be fear. He is the one who creeps in the night, the one who opens gates, who climbs in through windows. His is the shadow thrown long and sharp against the bedroom wall. At the same time, though, he knows that he is not those things, not anymore. He doesn't know what makes the young ladies snuggle closer to their boyfriends these days, but he knows that it is not him. He is old now, and he should be afraid, in this not-bad-but-not-good-either neighborhood, in this small house with no one else at home. What pride he still has he takes in the fact that he doesn't have to stretch up on his tippy-toes to peer in through the high windows. Time has taken much from him, but it has left him his height his long, raw bones. He can still look down through the windows at the young man who stands on the front porch. The young man is holding a bag in his hands, a long pillowcase perhaps, and he wears a crinkly plastic mask on his face. Is he trick-or-treating? No, he may be a young man, but he's already far too old for that. As Marco's question opens the door, another firework goes off in the night sky, masking the sound of the back door opening at the far end of the house. The house is dark, the only light what comes in through the high set windows, and what spills in from the living room, where a bare bulb lamp burns and the TV is still on, the sound of organ music droning from within. The back door opens onto a kitchen, which Darius passes through as silently as he can. He could have sworn he heard words spoken from the front of the house, some that may have been Mason's voice, some in a thick accent, but they could have been from the TV. In the hall off the kitchen, there are photographs on the wall, a tall man, wide-shouldered, but somehow gaunt, his face like a skull, his hands knobby and gray, posing next to people who look like they should be famous, but who Darius can't identify. He thinks one of them might be a singer that his mom used to like. From where Darius stands now, there is only one turn, and he will be in the hall off the living room, the one that leads to the front door. A moment ago, when he was still in the kitchen, there was a strange sound, something that he couldn't place. A gasp, maybe, a sudden intake of breath, impossibly loud and rattling. Was that the beginning of a scream, cut suddenly short, or was that only on the TV? Now he hears nothing, and he doesn't know if Mason succeeded in drawing the old man to the door or not. He leans one shoulder against the wall. He can hear the TV, but the volume is turned low. An announcer is talking now saying something about the old movie that has just been playing or the one that is about to start the light from the living room spills onto the floor in front of him on the wall opposite he can see the reflected flicker of the tv when he turns the corner the living room will be to his left the front door straight ahead of him he leans there for a moment letting the wall support his weight his hands gripped tight on the shotgun the plastic mask rasping against his face He doesn't know what it's supposed to be, some creep painted gray from some old movie, but it looks like the man in the pictures in the hall, and that makes him feel superstitious. Relax, he thinks to himself. He's just an old man. For all you know, he's still asleep in front of the tube. He pulls in a breath, hears it rattle against the cheap plastic mask. He wipes one hand against his jeans, then the other. He grips the gun, he turns the corner, and he sees the monster. The monster is backlit, painted in flickering silver strobes by the light of the TV in the next room. Its skin is gray and chalky and stretching, contorting, one long, pale arm snaking out longer, longer, the fingers like spiders, the arm a serpent wrapping around Darius's shoulder, around his waist, raising his feet up off the ground as his finger spasms on the trigger and the shotgun goes off, blowing a black hole in the lath and plaster wall. The arm raises him toward the monster's mouth and Darius recognizes it from the pictures in the hall, But now that skull-like jaw is opening wider, wider, wider than it could ever possibly open. In the rows of blunt teeth that line that dark cavern, Darius sees bits of fabric the color of Mason's sweater. He tries to raise the gun, but it has fallen nerveless from his fingers. Instead, he simply opens his mouth to scream, like the young ladies in the old black-and-white movies, but the plastic of his mask is sucked into his mouth and he chokes instead, and then it is too late. He smells the odor of loamy earth and geraniums before he is simply gone. The neighbors call the police about the fireworks. They say that one was so loud it sounded like it was coming from right next door. The police don't bother the odd but quiet old man who lives in the next house over, though Marcos Kostian sees their lights flashing against his living room wall. He has turned out his own light now and is sitting in the dark. The television remains on, still playing its all-night horror marathon but it is no longer one of his movies on the screen. Still, Marcos Kostin smiles a contented smile because the boy who came around the corner with the gun in his hand wore a mask of his face and because now his stomach is full and it seems, for this one night at least, that there must still be a little of the old Xander Marcos left in him after all.
1: Well, I was Thoroughly impressed with that story, Oren. It's I, I could picture, literally picture everything that you were saying, and it was just like its own mini horror movie. It, it, it's I, I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was really good. You know, it's funny when we were gearing to do this. One of the things that I told Louie was Oren's very well spoken, and that's one of the <laughs> things I remember when I met you in Kansas City, and then. It's just further proof that uh, you know you reading the story. I was like, "Yep, I was right." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. Now I, uh, I don't know. I'm probably better written than I am spoken, but I'm I'm glad it worked out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a really good story.
0: So, Orin, I, I'm a little curious. What inspired you to write the story?
2: Um, so, I've always been really fascinated by um, kind of the the. I don't know arc of the sort of like horror royalty that came out of the movies of like the '30s mm-hmm. up through the '60s, and how like you had Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, and they they had these you know they they were big deals in the '30s, and then of course and then they kind of had these like renaissances in the '60s when the shock theater things hit TV and stuff, but you know. Uh, They had various kinds of different careers like Karloff. Karloff did fine for himself, um, but like Lugosi, of course, did not do so well and ended up, you know, uh, doing heroin and and, uh, starring and being in Ed Wood movies and ultimately dying kind of alone. And um, but like just the sort of the sort of inherent tragedy, because these guys were well, well, you know, we knew them for monster movies. These guys were like theatrically trained, you know, classical actors and there's something very tragic about the idea of them, you know, dying in relative obscurity in like a bungalow house somewhere. Um and just that 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 tragedy um interested me but I wanted to do kind of something different with it. Um and so I, you know, we ended up with this.
0: <laughs> you you did a great job kind of creating your own Version Of that type of actor Which I It's funny because When I was listening To you read it I Like like Dave said I could picture What this person Looked like You know Mm -hmm. And you're picturing Boris Korloff Or Vincent Price Or any of these You know Bela Lugosi And the uh, The Halloween aspect Of it Was that always Your intent To like To set it On Halloween
2: Yeah Originally Like I was more Specific about the date Even And I set it On the Halloween That John Carpenter's Halloween came out (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Um, That's good because I feel like I feel like John Carpenter's Halloween is kind of one of the like benchmark movies of the way horror changed from those older movies into the kind of modern horror movies, and so I feel like it was in some ways the death knell of those old classical actors Um, and and their kind of horror, you know, Um, and so uh, and so originally it was going to be set on that specific Halloween. But I ended up just kind of I
1: I love that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really
0: cool. <laughs> I love and it's that. funny
2: that you it's funny that you say
0: that because it's kind of true. Like I think Hammer, right, was really popular right. in the seventies and then as soon as Halloween came out and then we went into the eighties, that completely changed. It was yeah. like guys with knives were became really wave. popular. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's there's a number of there's definitely like a number of movies that were like from I mean you can you can even go back as far as like Psycho in nineteen sixty up through, like, Halloween, um, you know, in 78 or whatever year it came out. Um, And, like, you can kind of just chart this gradual change in the horror landscape in that time. Um, And there's a movie that I I pull from a lot um, called Targets, which uh, Peter Bogdanovich made, that's got Boris Karloff playing, essentially, Boris Karloff. Um, You know, and he's he's this aging horror actor who, you know, he's not... There's no demand for his kind of movies anymore. Um, and he has, you know, these great lines about, like, the melancholy of that that I kind of inspired also this character somewhat.
0: And, and when it comes to Halloween for you personally, like, do you love the holiday? I'm assuming you do because oh, yeah. your story's set on it. So, like, <laughs> what, it is, what is it about Halloween that's so special
2: to you? I mean, um, well, like, today's my birthday, so or yeah yeah um and (laughs) and so um you know like for me Halloween's always also been my birthday like so it's 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 got that but like I just love I love you know I love monsters and I love spooky things and I especially love like I mean I love horror and I love horror movies always but I especially love the like theatricality of Halloween like the the dressing up and the the cobwebs and all the like—we're putting on these spooky accoutrements, rather than rather than like, you know. I I love like Scooby-Doo type horror more than I love like Texas Chainsaw type horror. Like, I love that creaky theatrical quality that Halloween for me always has.
0: It's it's always so interesting because I I feel like most people. They like that type, or they like all the gory right tortury stuff. <laughs> there's I, like even me personally, I'm kind of in between because I love both, right, but it's just funny how a lot of people they either gravitate towards one or the other. Yeah, it's interesting, and, <laughs> and there's
2: yeah, and there's like there's definitely days where I want one instead of the other. like it's not like I don't like um you know, the gory stuff sometimes, <laughs> but like yeah, yeah, just I love like I love that aspect of Halloween that just almost like. Again, theatrical is the only word I can think of for it, of of just, like, putting on all the props and all the aesthetics of horror for, you know, a day or a month or however long we keep all the decorations up.
1: I, I really appreciate the attention to detail of the, like, the atmosphere of the house, the atmosphere of, like, the van. Like, it was just very vivid storytelling. And like I could picture even what the living room looked like. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Thank you. So like it's just a very yeah, just very effective writing and storytelling. So like literally good on you because it was an awesome story. That's what I want to (laughs) add. Thank you. So Oren, where could people find you, and where can they find your other excellent stories?
2: Um, I'm, uh, I'm Orin Gray on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all those places. Um, you can find me at oringray.com. I've got a bibliography there that's got my stories. Um, I have three collections out. Two of them are available from WordHorde. One of them's actually in a story bundle that you can get, uh, I think it'll be over by the time. I think it may be over, actually. <laughs> um, but it was recently, so never mind. Um. But uh, you know, yeah, uh, pick pick up one of those. They're they're you know they're the best place to read more of my stories. Um, and this story, actually, if you want to read it in print, you can read it in uh, the Dark Magazine, which is an online magazine. So, so it being Devil's Night, we want to wish you a happy birthday, Oren. So, happy
1: birthday.
0: Happy birthday, Oren. <laughs> Thanks.
3: Whoa, that was a spooky story. And I have something that might take the edge off. Some terrifying tunes. So here is the track Graveyard Shortcut by Lovers. Have no idea how difficult it is to carve one of those tiny little pumpkins. I don't know. I just like to challenge myself sometimes. You guys would not understand. Anyway, the next story was written by Michael Gary Worth and it's titled A Halloween Tale.
4: Come on, Amanda. Dylan shouted as he tugged on the sleeve of his sister's pink tutu, knocking the plastic-jeweled-encrusted tiara askew on her head. It's almost nine o'clock and there's still a bunch of houses to hit. Amanda struggled against her brother's clutches and waved the silvery wand in the opposite direction, the red and white lights twinkling in the dark as she drew circles with it in the air. But I saw a kitty back there! I want to see the kitty! Dylan released Amanda's arm and turned to Terry, who simply shrugged. It's getting late, Dill, she began, and we did enough trick-or-treating as it is. She held up her bulging pillowcase of candy to illustrate her point. Let's let her go see the cat and just go home. With a grunt of frustration, Dylan replied, Fine, and tromped off after Amanda, who was already on the neighbor's lawn searching for the cat. Dylan and Terry, both nine years old, made trick-or-treating together a yearly custom since they met in kindergarten. Usually they coordinated costumes, but this year Dylan really wanted to dress up as a superhero from the latest blockbuster movie, while Terry wanted to do something more conventional. Neither could concede so they decided to each go their own way, which was fine since this year Dylan's mother made him bring Amanda, aged four and a half, along with them. Dylan wanted nothing to do with escorting Amanda around all night, not when his quest was to fill an entire pillowcase up with candy, he just knew his sister would hold him back and he was right. Dylan stalked across the yard, Terry right on his heels, as Amanda crouched beneath the bushes, calling to the cat. Here, kitty, kitty, she said, making psps noises and throwing little air kisses at it. Her hard work paid off when a pair of yellow eyes broke through the branches and stared up at her. Amanda's face lit up as she screeched, KITTY! Dylan drew back, holding his hands against his ears. Do you have to be so loud? he chided. Amanda craned her neck to look at him and stuck her tongue out. As she did, the cat burst through the branches and ran off across the lawn, its velvety black body lost in the darkness as soon as it hit the street. Amanda shot to her feet and raced off after it, the plastic tiara falling from her head as she wobbled across the grass. No, don't run off, Amanda, Dylan shouted after her. Without hesitation, he chased after his sister as she chased after the cat, leaving Terry all alone. "'No, it's fine, guys. I'm fine here,' Terry said to no one. She reached down and plucked Amanda's tiara from the ground before trotting off after the siblings. Dylan watched as Amanda rounded the corner to the neighborhood Dead End Street. She was easy to follow from the blinking red and white lights of her fairy princess wand, but he had trouble seeing her. He reached into his pillowcase and rummaged around the fun size snicker bars and cellophane wrappers of Smarties and pulled out the small handheld flashlight his mother made him carry.' Clicking it on, he aimed the beam at the street and found Amanda standing on the sidewalk. Her shoulders were stooped and her head was angled upward. Her mouth hung open in awe but her eyes showed a different type of emotion. Dylan swung the beam in the direction of his sister's stare, illuminating a ramshackle house at the end of the street. The house was in bad shape. The roof dipped in the center and showed bald spots here and there from shingles that had blown away in rainstorms through the years. The shutters of the house. Those that weren't broken, at least, were pulled closed. Dry, dying bushes lined the porch, wrapping around the sides of the house and showing no signs of life anywhere. The lawn was just a large brown blob of dead grass and patches of dirt. The iron fence was rusted, the gate hanging forlornly off its hinges. But in the center of the cement walkway leading to the porch steps sat the cat. Its yellow eyes glowed in the beam of Dylan's flashlight, giving the cat an aura of wisdom and intrigue. Terry caught up to the pair, her breaths escaping in puffs behind her plastic Frankenstein mask. She lifted the mask from her face, the thin rubber band sticking to her long black hair, and stared up at the spooky house. "'We can't go near there,' she said, her voice catching in her throat. "'That's the witch's house.' Dylan cocked his head at her, his eyebrows tucked in a get-serious V. "'There's no witch in that house,' he said resolutely. Terry drew back in astonishment and flapped the hand still holding the mask at the house. Are you kidding me? Look at that place. Amanda spun on her heels and raised her eyes up to her brother's face. It does look like a house a witch would live in, she squeaked. There's no such thing as witches, Dylan chided. And besides, you're the one who wanted to see the cat. Well, there it is. He leveled the flashlight on the cat in the walkway again who now ignored the children and occupied itself by licking its nether regions. Go and pet it. I don't want to anymore, Amanda responded. Go, Dylan said with added force. Terry began, maybe we should just take her, go. Dylan's voice was a stiff shout. He placed a hand on Amanda's shoulder and gave her a shove toward the fence. Amanda stared back at him, her face pleading to not have to get closer to the house, but he just glared back at her. Eyebrows raised, growing steadily more impatient. Swallowing hard as one does in a harrowing situation, Amanda gently placed her orange pumpkin bucket on the sidewalk. She towed closer to the fence, grabbing the corroded metal bar with her stubby fingers and pulled. It struggled at first, the hinges old and rusting, refusing to give sway to a small girl, but it eventually relented, releasing a long, ear-piercing shriek into the night air like a weeping threnody. She squeezed through the bars, the metal scraping against her and leaving orange stripes on her lavished pink tutu. Amanda tiptoed along the cracked concrete walkway, carefully stepping over the moss-grown cracks and hunching down closer to the cat. The feline paused itself cleaning, its bulbous yellow eyes leveled on her with suspicion. Amanda reached one hand out to the cat, her fingertips trembling as she carefully stole glances up at the house. The cat lifted its head and drew closer to Amanda's hand, giving her stubby fingers a cautious sniff. After a second or two, the cat seemed satisfied with the intruder and rubbed its cheeks along the length of her finger. Amanda's mouth tugged into a grin and she cast a glance back at Dylan and Terry. It likes me, she cooed, as the cat hefted itself onto its paws and rubbed the crown of its head against Amanda's palm. It gave her a few more figure eights like that, letting the girl drag her hand down the length of its back before it froze. Its head jerked high, its eyes focused on the distance just beyond the creepy house. The cat's ears twitched a couple of times before it loped off across the dead grass and disappeared into the darkness. Dylan struggled to hold back a peal of laughter. "'You scared it away!' he said to Amanda. "'It probably didn't like how bad you smelled!' Amanda drew herself up out of her crouch and placed her hands on her hips. I do not smell bad, she shouted. As she protested her brother's teasing, a square of yellow light surrounded her on the walkway, framing her tiny figure against the concrete. Amanda stared down at the light with wide, nervous eyes before lifting her focus to Terry and Dylan. She saw that their attention was drawn to a spot behind her, their faces taut and frightened. Amanda heard a stiff squeal from behind her and slowly, ever so slowly, spun to face the noise. The light wrapped around her face, forcing her to squint, but there, just beyond the porch, she watched as the front door slowly opened to reveal a little old lady. The woman was dressed in a floral housecoat. White hair, tinged with streaks of yellow, was pinned to the back of her head, with thin, wispy rivulets flowing down the sides of her face. Large rimmed glasses sat on the edge of her nose, the lenses so thick they magnified her milky white eyes. She stared out onto the porch, frowning at the sudden darkness that obscured her vision. "'Who's out there?' she asked in a deep, gruff voice. The three children stood frozen in place, staring up at the rotund woman's silhouette in the doorway. Amanda's breath caught in her throat, the small girl consciously aware of every movement of her body that could possibly make noise. Unfortunately, the cat had no such anxieties and released a small mew at the woman. The old woman's frown broke into something of a smile. Timmer, is that you? At the sound of its name, the cat darted up the steps and dashed past the woman's stockinged legs into the house. The woman watched it blur past her before turning her gaze back outside. Her night vision had settled in and she spotted the three frozen figures standing in front of her house. "'What do we have here?' she said to them. This time her mouth pulled into an actual smile. She leaned to her left, her head and thorax disappearing from the children's view. A moment later she swayed back into place, a large orange ball cradled in both of her hands. "'Trick-or-treaters!' Amanda snuck a glance back at Dylan and Terry, who met her gaze with grins of their own. Dylan was the first to move squeezing himself between the iron bars of the dilapidated gate, with Terry hot on his heels. They raced past Amanda and up the steps to the front door, spreading wide the mouths of their pillowcases and bellowing in unison, ''Trick or treat!'' The old woman drew back in mock horror at the sight of their costumes, chuckling to the children on her stoop. ''Oh my, such frightful costumes!'' She balanced the bowl on one palm and scooped up handfuls of the candy, dropping it into Terry's bag like an excavator shovels dirt. She repeated the process with Dylan, her eyes focused just past him and Amanda trudging up the steps, the light-up wand twinkling in her grasp. Where's your basket, sweetheart? Amanda looked down at her empty hand, then cocked her head back toward the street to find her poor, abandoned pumpkin staring at her with wide eyes. Nuts, she grumbled, carefully lowering herself down the next step. I have a better idea, the old woman said. Amanda froze in her tracks and looked back at the woman. I'm making caramel apples right now. How would you all like to enjoy them with me? The three tiny faces looked back and forth to each other. The warning words of their parents urged in each of their brains. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go inside anyone's homes. But the sweet scent of caramel floating on the air overrode their sense of obedience. Dylan pivoted on his heels and locked his gaze on the old woman. We'd love to. With a wide grin, the woman stepped aside, allowing the children through the threshold. They stood in the center of the foyer, peering around the stairway leading to the second floor into the kitchen beyond. On the table sat a small yellow plate, atop which were stacked light brown spheres with white sticks poking through the centers. Dylan eyed the caramel apples carefully, his mouth watering. He looked back at the woman, eyes wide, as she closed the door behind Amanda. "'Go on ahead,' she said, seeing the avarice in his eyes. "'Have a seat at the table, and I'll be right in.' Dylan tromped across the hardwood floor, leading the procession through the den past the plastic-covered couch and doily-topped end table. He dropped his candy sack on the floor next to the refrigerator and rounded the neatly clothed table. He pulled out a chair for his sister and hoisted her up into the seat before taking the chair directly next to her. Terry slipped the mask from her face and laid it on the table next to the caramel apples before climbing into the chair opposite Amanda. The woman strode into the kitchen, wiping her hands on her apron around her waist. Dylan wasted no time, grabbing a white stick of the apple and shoving it into his mouth. He took a bite, the sweet coating of caramel melting into the crispness of the apple. Thin streamers of light brown caramel trailed from his lips as he chewed the hunk of fruit, savoring the sweetness as it flooded across his tongue. Little Amanda, however, had less of an easy time. She struggled to get the oversized apple into her mouth enough to get a decent bite, instead scraping the caramel from the fruit with the front of her teeth. Seeing the girl grow frustrated with the task, the woman leaned in close. Would you like me to cut it up for you? Yes, please, Amanda said meekly, wiping the wet caramel that had somehow gotten on her cheek with the back of her hand. The woman smiled and pulled a floral-patterned plate from the cupboard and a large carving knife from the drawer next to the stove. Amanda placed her apple on the plate, and in four swift motions, the woman had cut the apple into eight equally-sized pieces. Thank you, Amanda squeaked as she pinched an apple slice between thumb and forefinger, biting it clean in half. The woman wiped the knife on her apron and placed it on the table next to the apples. She watched the delight on the children's faces as they devoured the sweet treats. "'Are you going to have one?' Terry asked, leaning back in her chair and shoving two caramel-coated fingers into her mouth. "'No, dear, I'm afraid I can't. These old choppers can't take the strain of hard fruits like that anymore.' "'Then why do you make them?' Dylan asked through a mouthful of mushed apple. I just enjoy the process. The woman sidled next to Terry and placed a hand on the girl's shoulder. Plus, it gives me the chance to meet new friends. Terry craned her neck to look up at the woman and found her gaze shifting down to her. Her thin lips pulled into a smile. A light snore broke through the room and three heads swiveled to look toward Amanda. Her arms were crossed on the tabletop, her head resting on the backs of her hands. Thin caramel streaks crisscrossed her lips and her eyes were pinched tight. Every now and then she released a short, sharp snore. I guess all the excitement was too much for the little one, the woman said. Dylan laid the apple corn stick on the edge of the plate and stretched his arms wide. His mouth gaped, releasing a body-shaking yawn. Yeah, it's getting pretty late. We should probably go home now. Terry mirrored Dylan's yawn eyelids drooping, blocking her crystal blue irises behind her fatigue. Sure, sure, I understand. The woman shuffled away from Terry's chair and idled across the kitchen to the back door. She pushed aside the frilly white curtain and peered out into the darkness. Replacing the curtain, she flicked the knob on the deadbolt, the lock ka into place. She turned back to the children and found Terry resting her head on the tabletop. Dylan slipped from his chair, his chubby fingers clutching the edge of the table to keep his balance. The woman grabbed his bicep, urging his bottom back toward the chair. Easy there, small one. You don't want to fall over and hurt yourself now. Dylan yawned again, his mouth opening so wide he felt like his head would fall off. But we really need to go, he said. His words were soft, almost slurred. He lowered himself back into the chair and placed his elbows on the table, resting his forehead against his palms. The woman rounded the table, her fingertips wrapping around the handle of the kitchen knife. She held the blade close to her face and examined the bright stainless steel. She dragged the pad of her thumb across the edge of the blade, smiling as Dylan's gentle snores rang through the kitchen.
0: That was a pretty intense ending there at the uh, at the end there. So, <laughs> definitely was.
4: Yeah, I wanted to leave it. I wanted to kind of make it, you know, a little ambiguous toward the end. I mean, it's it's pretty clear what's happening, but I didn't want to go too uh, too in depth
1: with that and really list out everything that
0: happens. <laughs> I know. I think we could all imagine what uh what happened to them.
1: I I think it was a good. It was definitely a good decision to leave it open like that.
0: I got a I got a lot of uh, like ha- like Hansel and Gretel vibes. I don't know if that was the intention. It
4: wasn't. I definitely see where you're coming
0: from. That yeah. I, it
4: definitely comes off like that with the with the old lady luring the kids into into the house. So yeah, I definitely can see how that might be the uh, how how you might make that connection.
0: Obviously, there's no like like there's there the the candy being the candy apples that's the and, and the cat i love the addition of the cat by the way yeah
1: the cat well the cats the, I love the cats it. what ha- what brings it all together
0: that
4: was really what started it like i i i have a black cat um it's the greatest little creature ever it's such a pain in my ass but i love it and I so when you you invited me to be part of this i really wanted to write a story about a cat so that was really what started this and then that led to the, the trick or treating aspect of it and, and the kids out having fun and then it all just kinda snowballed from there.
0: And like just hearing you like I could I can see everything you were describing. Like the way you described the caramel apples and, and all that stuff and how a kid would be enticed. The, the
1: floral plate. Exactly.
0: And how a kid would like want to be enticed to go into a stranger's house. And I even like how you added in, like, the, uh, like, they have sacks for trick or treating and stuff like that. Now, I, you just talked about the cat as kind of the inspiration for this story. Were there any other inspirations? I never had
4: an idea of what to write for this particular story. So I just kind of sat down and, and, and brainstormed, like, a few things of what Halloween means to me. And the big things that stuck out were the, um, uh, the, the trick or treating the costumes the witches you know i wrote down a bunch of other things but you know i really just looked at the list and i'm like what what's here that would make a good story and i picked a few of those elements and just kind of rolled with it
0: and it's funny because i always you know you always hear stories about kids especially when you're like young where there's like that one spooky house like in in town or, you know, on, the, on your block or whatever. Like, and I could really see, like, everything you wrote is just very relatable. Like, especially, I love that it's from the perspective of kids too. Like, that's what I really, I really dug about it. And, and on the, on the, the subject of Halloween, like, why is the holiday so important to you? I just,
4: I grew up and just loved Halloween. I love the idea of dressing up. I loved, mainly I loved the free candy. You know, I was a fat kid growing up. So (laughs) going out there and and getting as much free candy as I possibly could was, it was freeing to be at at a young age like that. You have so much restrictions. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but growing up, like my parents weren't super strict. Uh, They were kind of lenient. But, you know, as a kid, there's only so much that you can do. So for them to say, yeah, go go ahead and dress up as Spider-Man, take this pillowcase, and go run around the neighborhood for four hours, and I'll see you when you get back. Sounds great. That's that's like paradise to a kid. Of course. So that really is what cemented like Halloween in my mind, and and now that I'm older, you know, I don't have the trick or treating aspect, but it, being able to decorate the house, um, like all the lights and those giant inflatables out on the lawn yeah like our house (laughs) our house is really the only one that decorates for halloween so there's like maybe one or two other houses on our street but when you come down the street and you see that that beacon of orange and purple lights on the side of the road you know that that's our place amazing (laughs) and that's That's awesome (laughs) like that's the fun of halloween now as an adult
0: it's funny because I think you're the first person that's been on the show and said that, like, the candy was, <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, like because <laughs> most people, that, you know, when they, when they come on the show, they're like, oh, you know, nostalgia and the memories and, and, like, they talk about other things and horror and loving horror films and being kind of scared of it. Usually, like, the go-to is, like, I was scared of all this stuff as a kid and as I've gotten older, I, like, love it now. So it's just funny to hear someone say, like, like honestly, dude, I love the candy. Like, that was, like, first and foremost, I loved the That's candy good, when I was a kid. It's a fair kid. answer. Oh, dude, I loved it, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Always about the candy.
4: Like, you get home and that feeling, like, you're there, you're in the living room, you haven't even taken your costume off, but you dump that sack right in the middle of the floor, and you start separating those pieces. It's like, yep. here's the chocolate, here's the fruit stuff, here's the gum, and then you divide it into little piles from there. I, was that just me? or No, nope, I, no, no. Nope. no nope. <laughs> Organizing everything? All right, great. I don't feel crazy now, so that's perfect. By
1: the way, I have to add, I love the inclusion of the Smarties rapper. Love it, love it, love it.
4: <laughs> that's a Halloween staple, dude. 100%. Not enough
1: love for the Smarties. I love Smarties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Mike, so thanks for being on. Uh, where can people find you?
4: Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, mostly. Uh, You can find me at Cranky CrankyRackintour. And I also have three novels, three books up on Amazon. You can find them there. Uh, You can search my full name, Michael Gary Worth, and that's W-I-R-T-H, and those books will pop up on Amazon for you.
3: Man, my heart can't handle all these eerie tales. Who am I kidding? I don't have a heart, but what I do have are eardrums, kind of. So here's the track Details of the World by Di Catalano. Before I let these two close out the show, I just want to wish you all a safe and fun Halloween and I hope you all enjoyed my inter my presence on the show. Stay spooky and see you real soon.
0: So that's our 2020 Halloween special. Be sure to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Haunted And
1: if you can rate and review us, that would be greatly appreciated. And remember, the best cure for
0: a hangover is...
1: More booze and candy.
0: And from all of us at Haunted Hangover, Happy Halloween.